Good afternoon and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast, episode number two. My name is Pete Fletcher, a.k.a. Pedro Arrow, and joining me as always is... Glenn Sizemore! Glenn, how you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Pete, man. <laughs> you and that soundboard every week. I'm, 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 I'm sitting here braced for Vaughn's voice, yeah, and yeah. out of nowhere, Dan's singing my name. Okay. I gotta keep you on your toes. Sure. Sully, what's going on, sir? I am doing pretty fabulous. How are you? Well, you look fabulous. You look uh, marvelous. You know, I combed my beard this morning, so maybe that's what it is. You know, it's, I've gotten super into that lately. Like, I've got like this this oil stuff and boar's hair brushes, and <laughs> and like the I'm not kidding. I've got the whole nine. That may be taking it a step too far. No, I'm wow. totally into it, man. It makes it all soft and and manageable. I'm telling you, get in there. Well, whatever you're doing, it's working. Joining us and sitting right next to Mr. Sullivan is our guest for today, Mr. Eric Rayline. Eric, how you doing, sir? Very good, sir. Glad to be here. Eric is here to talk to us about Evo Rail on NetApp specifically. I think we call that NIERS. It's N-I-E-R-S or anyway, we'll, we'll get into that. But before we do, Eric, tell us a little bit about you and what you do at NetApp. Sure. So I'm a technical marketing engineer on our converged infrastructure team. Uh, obviously, uh, a sister team with Glenn, you know, focused mostly on FlexPod and other converged infrastructures. I've been here about two years. Before that, I was working for a couple different uh, value-added resellers, uh, helping out customers, and then long-term IT person. Nice, nice. Well, before we dive into Evo Rail, right before the podcast, Glenn sort of gave me a teaser about his weekend, and I cannot wait to hear the rest of this. So, Glenn, you mentioned you were doing a project over the weekend? Yeah. So, I've, I don't know, I've been on this crazy uh, trip lately with, like, DevOps and, and different ways of, of working and different ways of managing. And I finally decided that I needed to sit down and, and actually like learn, learn, like seriously learn about Scrum and how it works. So I went and got the book by the guy who invented it and went and read it and read his white paper and, and did a bunch of other research and, and found some stuff. And I was like, you know, this is interesting. You know, it's kind of cool. But, but, you know, the proof's always in the pudding. So this weekend, I had a bra- relatively big project that had to get done. We got carpet put through put in our entire house so the whole house got new carpet yeah that's great right here's the problem in order to get carpet throughout your entire house you have to pack your entire house (laughs) you got to get everything off the carpet sure right so i had to pack the whole house get it into the garage carpet guys come in they put all new carpet in and then we had to unpack the house and and get everything cleaned back up as an exercise i did this all through scrum so we (laughs) sat down with a whiteboard my wife my seven-year-old and my eight-year-old. Oh, my goodness. And we came up with the task list, and we prioritized those tasks, and we found the interdependencies, and then we, we, we had our backlog, and I played Little Scrub Master for the house. And I'll be damned, dude. We got that house packed in about five hours. Carpet was put in in one day, and we got it completely unpacked and cleaned and organized to a level that I have never seen in this house in a single eight-hour afternoon on a Sunday. I'm, I think I'm sold. <laughs> like, my kids didn't fight the entire time. If you have young children, this is a huge deal. I have a seven- and eight-year-old, a boy and a girl, siblings. All they do is fight. For so eight hours, they worked together, and their sole focus was just clearing that damn board. That's all they cared about. It was awesome. 
Glenn's the scrum master. That, that sounds much better than my weekend, where my, my oldest child, the dog, had several teeth removed, so we got to coddle him all weekend. Oh, yeah, no, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, was, I was just doing some extracurricular stuff. You know, we use DevOps, obviously, and, and Agile all throughout NetApp, um, particularly in the development side of the house where our actual products are built. So I was, you know, I better learn about this stuff because here it is. It's here. The and, Scrum Master. And that was my weekend. So, yeah, if you, if you guys haven't looked into it yet, uh, Audible, I, I highly recommend the, the, the Audible book, just Scrum. It's, it's, written by, it's written by the guy who invented it. It's a six-hour listen. It's incredibly light. Uh, and if you're not familiar with the deep concepts of how this actually works, I highly, highly, highly recommend getting read up. Awesome. All right. Well, let's move on. Let's talk about let's talk about hyperconverged infrastructure. And I do want to talk about what NetApp uh, what NetApp's play is in this space. But before we do, I just wanted to solicit your opinions, gentlemen, on what exactly is hyperconverged infrastructure to you, Andrew? Sure. So. Hyperconverged, uh, particularly hyperconverged infrastructure, is a bit of a misnomer, right? Because if we think of virtualization, there's three components to any virtualization stack. So there's compute, right? CPUs, RAM, the hypervisor. There's storage, and then there's networking. So so far, the market has really only addressed two of those, which is sort of interesting. But let's ignore all that for a moment, right? Hardware is hardware, right? So everybody has access to the same Intel CPUs and the same set of motherboards and chassis and hard drives or SSDs and all yep. that other stuff. So what does it come down to? It comes down to manageability. Sure. Right? When you're a hyper-converged customer, what are, you, what are you really buying? You're buying a managed platform, right? So that's the way I tend to look at, at hyper-converged, right? It's less about a hardware platform, less about an individual technology, and more about a manageability strategy. Okay. Eric? Yeah, so I would completely agree with that, actually. So, I mean, HCI today has gotten where it was because it's really been focused on hyper-marketing. It's been jumping on the bandwagon that converged infrastructure really blazed that trail, even though there's no convergence whatsoever from a technology perspective. I mean, when you're talking about the, 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 store, the technology itself, the hardware, it's the same hardware we've had in every server for decades. Yeah. All this really is is focusing on the convergence of administration. So whether you're talking about the manageability aspects in terms of the management interface, you know, the administrative interface, or really who it's targeted for, which is the converged administrator. So moving away from these silos of dedicated server admins, storage admins, network admins, and moving into an infrastructure admin, which ultimately the goal is to get to the application admin, because those are the people who matter. Ah. Infra infrastructure is only there to run the applications, after all. Converged personnel, essentially? Yeah, pretty much. Huh. Glenn? Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm going to I'm going to absolutely line up with with uh, Andrew and, and Eric on this one that from my perspective that's exactly what this is, right? You know, we get lost in this industry around the the speeds and feeds and the particulars and and you know, we haven't heard this stuff lately, but you know, a while back there was a whole bunch of, you know, people getting religious about definitions and you know, if you're not single node scalability, you're not scale out and all other so sorts of, of of other nonsense that have nothing to do with how the ops team interacts with the infrastructure. You know, Eric, you tell me if you agree with this, but from where we sit in a converged infrastructure unit who focuses on this every single day of the week, that's the only thing I care about. What is the end user impact? What is the ops team impact to this decision? Doesn't matter how complicated the backend infrastructure truly is, if we can deliver it in a manner that, that is easily consumable and maintainable, or sustainable rather, maintainable is not really a word, if it's sustainable over the long term, that's a successful you know, infrastructure because that's something the customer can actually implement and maintain. 
hyperconverged is just taking that concept that was you know the trailblaze of converged infrastructure early days bce and then eventually flexpod just just showing the world how to do it right taking that concept and turning it to 11 and going what if what if you didn't have to know anything about infrastructure to manage it like to me that's that's really what it is yeah the way i usually describe the difference between the two right uh, converged infrastructure right flexpod yeah is pre-architected infrastructure right a lot of smart people like Glenn and Eric here sit down and they say, well, knowing what we know about the servers and the hypervisor and the storage and the network and all these other things, this is the way it's going to work the best. This is the way that we eke the most efficiency out of it, right? Recently, I used the word bespoke in an EBC, right? So, you know, a, a bespoke infrastructure, something that you custom create for your application set is always going to be the most efficient. Yeah. But a converged infrastructure is usually going to be a close second, right? Because you can choose the best of breed. You can tailor it to what you need. A hyperconverged type offering is different in that you're trading raw efficiency for manageability, for that, that ability to quickly deploy, to quickly uh, and simply manage the infrastructure that's associated with it. So converged infrastructure, pre-architected, hyperconverged, automated integration. So instead of pre-architected integration, automated integration. Yeah. Okay. And I could totally get with you on that definition. Uh, that 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 totally works with me. And 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 you know, listeners, this is one of the things that we've got to figure out and we've got to do. We got to stop with with you know. And and I'm saying this from the position of a vendor, but but listen, customers, you've got to stop letting vendors tell you what this stuff is, right? Because if you let us do it. We will micro-slice these definitions and come up with all sorts of exceptions that, that are only applicable to our single point instance. Yeah. You know, and, and a definition like that, where you're just d drawing the line and saying, you know, the real difference here is the automation tier. They're both architected. They're both built to, to take advantage of the underlying infrastructure. But the difference is, with a FlexPod configuration, we're giving you an architecture and a deployment guide. And, and, or, or, you know, you can also get a FlexPod that is a complete service that comes pre-installed. It's got integration services. They're provided by a partner, but it's a managed service platform. You do nothing. You know, you just you just say how big you want it and what, what workload you have, and it shows up and it works, right? In my mind, an HCI solution and that pre prescriptive uh, pre-delivered FlexPod, they address the same customer. Oh, yeah. They're just two different approaches. Yeah, you have to look at the end result. Like, what what is the desire... Uh, from a customer perspective of HCI, simplicity, yeah. you know, ease of management. That is the goal. That's that's the reason they're looking at it. That's what is attractive about it. And so you can get that from from a lot of different HCIs that are out there. But you can also get that with FlexPod. Yeah, Eric, you got you had a look in your face when I said that, buddy. Well, I'm just thinking about. It. I mean, my my issue, I guess, is that I think a lot of times we give too much credit to the HCI vendors today and the current uh, way HCI is being delivered. Because the great thing about FlexPod or any truly converged infrastructure or more converged infrastructure is that you're getting the entire stack. With any HCI vendor today, the important piece of the networking is not there. That's so a good point. So it's still relying upon the customer to deal with that or a partner or someone else to deal with it. So you're getting a less converged infrastructure with hyper-converged than you are the traditional converged infrastructure. Right. You get the hyper-converged, but in essence, you're kind of isolated. Well, yeah. They, they're, exactly. I mean, HCI, yeah. again, the current HCI vendors are just little islands of storage and compute that they're aggregating DAS across and presenting it under a common management interface. Hmm. It's just converged management. That's it. Yeah, and I'll disagree very slightly with your statement, Glenn, in that they're not necessarily targeted at the same customer. So same organization, but not necessarily the same customer. 
uh, usually uh, converged infrastructure is going to be targeted at, well, an infrastructure admin, right? Somebody who's paid to manage servers and hypervisors and networking and, and storage and all of those things. Mm -hmm. uh, HCI, through that abstracted, right, automated infrastructure layer, it typically appeals to the same people that like the public cloud, right? The, think about application administrators. I don't really care with AWS or Azure or whatever it happens to be. I don't I don't even know what the underlying servers are Precisely. or the underlying storage is, right? I click a button and I get a virtual machine. Yep. That's the type of people that typically are, are interested in an HCI type product. Now that's well, that's one of the three categories that I break it into. I'm not sure if everybody agrees with my three categories, but well, what are your three categories, man? You can't you can't drop something like that and then not keep going. <laughs> Little tease. Sure. Got so, to the full spiel. So, uh, yeah. So, so the first category that I break HCI uh, uh, potential HCI customers into is application admins, right? People who like the appeal of uh, hyper or of the the hyperscale providers, but don't want or don't uh, uh, can't have the risk associated with it. Yep. Right. So the second group, which is arguably the most comical group, is VMware administrators, <laughs> right? Or, or really any virtualization administrator who doesn't want to deal with their storage team, right? Hey, I got to go and talk to the storage guys, and they make me fill out a help desk ticket, and then I got to wait two weeks while they figure out where they're going to provision it to. And, you know, they want to bypass all of that. And, you know, the, the VMware guys, and, you know, we operate at the speed of business. You know, we need the agility and, you know, pick your, your buzzwords. The third group is is probably the most interesting, right, from a, because they sit kind of on the line, right? And that's an, an organization, regardless of size, that doesn't want to or doesn't have the architecture talent, right? They don't want to devote their time or they don't have the talent to create these massive complex uh, uh, solutions, right? And an extension of that is the, the so-called uh, 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 linear scalability, Right, VDI is a perfect example of this. Yeah. VDI is hard. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of things that can happen inside of there. There's a lot of configuration of all the components that go into, you know, that that architecture. So we we can attest to it here at NetApp, you know, here recently. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that next week. So don't yeah, don't give yeah. away too much. So hyperconverged basically abstracts all that away, so that it really does become put another box in the rack, press the button, and and now I can add that. So. You can devote your time, your talent, to doing bigger scale things, right? Rather than figuring out, okay, I need to have this networking setting set just like this, and I need to adjust this, you know, tweak on the storage, and I need to set this advanced setting on the hypervisor, right? It's let those highly paid guys do the highly paid things that they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, it's it's that it's like this this conversation we've been having with a lot of customers, or, and and I I I assume just about everyone at NetApp's having it because it seems like every account team that I interact with is is bringing it up. But we spend a lot of time as a storage vendor talking to teams about their day to day operations, right? Their their basic like this is the keeping the lights on. This is the stuff that that this application over here can never go down. This is our ERP. This is the whole business, right? But where we really want to get the conversation to is. Guys, what's your wish list? If you had all the money in the world and you didn't have to worry about anything, what problem would you solve? You know, tell us what that is because we may have a relatively simple way to solve that problem. And if you just told us about the problem, we could help make it go away. When you're looking at IT projects, all the value is in your growth. All of it. Like it's new ventures, it's new stuff, it's trying to solve all existing problems. And if you take a look at, at larger manageability frameworks like Lean and, and Agile and 
you know, even Scrum, right? All this stuff is all about uh, automating and, and, and simplifying, standardizing the basic stuff so that you can get on to the advanced stuff. Yeah. Right? And it's that same concept. You know, this is just one way of doing it. If you can't do it organizationally, you can just do a money shift. You can, you can drop some OpEx fees a little bit by getting an infrastructure that's easier to manage, crank up a little bit of CapEx fees because, you know, there's a cost associated with that, with, with that automation. But then once the hardware is in place, you focus on the application. You move into the grow. You start worrying about how to help the business move along instead of just keeping the damn mailboxes up. Yeah, well said. Pete, you feel like you got a handle on this now, buddy? I'm getting it, man. I'm getting it. So I, I love the way you tied in Scrum now into HCI. <laughs> it's all about knitting the whole conversation together, right? I, in the, real, the reality is the, these technologies and these systems and, and these movements aren't happening in isolation. They're all interconnected. And, and Andrew made a statement earlier that, that I think is actually quite apt, which is HCI and public cloud are, are targeted at the same market. Uh, I, I attempted to make the same connection with our, 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 our prescriptive FlexPod offerings where they come pre-installed. Mm -hmm. For me, this is all the same thing, right? What is your business? What is your value? Is your business running infrastructure? Or are you a service provider? You better have that skill set. You better have those people, and you better, you know, have that institutional knowledge because that's how you're making money. You know, if you're, if you're selling insurance, why do you care? You're selling insurance. Yeah. Right, that's the focus. Every conversation should be around how can we sell more insurance? How, how, how can we simplify the process that, that, that our sales folks have to go through to sell insurance, right? Mm -hmm. You know, th that's really, as an industry, what we are trying to come to grips with right now. We, we've recently realized that we're not special little snowflakes, that we're just like every other business unit that exists inside a modern organization, and how do we continue to operate with, with the same levels of reliability and predictability that is expected of IT while still keeping up with this whole speed of the business thing. Yeah. Well, cool. Let's move on to what is NetApp Integrated Evo Rail System, or NEARS. Uh, why don't you give me a definition of what it is, and maybe we can walk through some of the technical specs on that, Eric. Sure. Uh, and, and just, of course, for the correction, since it's, you know marketing will be listening to this, is technically the NetApp Integrated EvoRail Solution. Ah. Ooh. Okay. Uh, so NetApp Integrated EvoRail Solution, or NEARS, as we do shorten it because it's far less of a mouthful, uh, is essentially our initial uh, HCI play, our initial play in the HCI market. So what this is, is you know, we're really building on our what, 13 years uh, partnership with VMware. So EvoRail, as probably a lot of listeners know, is actually a program uh, designed by VMware uh, to uh, address the HCI space. It's really a program that VMware came up with. They have defined the, the software components, they provide the software components, and they define the hardware stack. But then they don't sell that. They basically provide that to partners, to qualified EvoRail partners, to actually then take that software, bundle it with their hardware, and then sell that to customers. Uh, and, and the big thing there is being able to have that as a single point of contact for everything. So you purchase it from one vendor, you get all support and services from that same vendor. So NetApp has a system where we provide all the support for the entire EvoRail system to include the NetApp? Yes. So if you buy Nears, you're, you're getting everything through us. So yes, if you have a problem with the compute side, you're calling us. If you're having huh. a problem with the VMware uh, software, you're calling us. If you have a problem with any of our software or hardware other than the compute, you're still calling us. Got one, it. One thing I'll note, that includes official VMware support as well. NetApp is doing the support for the VMware components. Right. There is an escalation path back to official VMware, but it is NetApp that is doing that. Correct. So uh, when, when we say that, that 
uh, Evo Rail has a you know hard specification. Just how detailed is that? And 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 let's 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 disclose to everybody like what what we get and where we go from there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so as I said, I mean, this is completely determined by VMware. And then the initial Evo Rail releases, the the hardware was identical. So when we were at Partner Exchange early in the year, they had the uh, Evo Rail Pavilion, and you could kind of look around at the other partners. And there was at the time there was nine other partners, and you looked at everyone's hardware, and it's the same hardware. Yeah. There were one or two different ODMs underneath the covers, but then the day it's all the same hardware. Where you distinguish yourselves is on the additional services and software and manageability. Or if you add hardware, which we'll get to because we were the only vendor doing that. Uh, but in the initial release of Evo Rail, you basically have very prescriptive guidance on the CPUs. Everyone's CPU is exactly the same. An E5 2620V2. Uh, Six-core processor, no variation in clock speed. This is what you get. Yeah. RAM, every node has 192 gigs of RAM. Doesn't matter what, which, what you want more, you want less. Doesn't matter, you're getting 192 gigs of RAM. And all of the uh, local storage is all the same as well. So in it, in there's uh, three 1.2 terabyte SAS drives and a 400 gig SSD. Wow! So even even the storage is is uh, specified in that. I didn't realize that they specified which hard drives we had to include. They don't specify which hard drives. They specify the the uh, specifications of those hard drives, the ah, capacities, and and the type of hard drive. So they have to be a SAS hard drive. It's not going to be a nearline SAS or SATA hard drive. Uh, ultimately, the components individually inside there, there may be some flexibility on. So we have a limited subset of, say, HBAs we can choose or NICs that we can choose. But everything's still going to be the same. So to the next point, everything's got a dual-port 10-gig uh, adapter in it, and that's it. So you've got 20 gigs of network connectivity from each node, and that's it. No, no, you can't add additional cards. You're not having less cards. Huh. No one-gig interfaces. If there are one-gig interfaces, they need to be disabled. Those are all completely defined by VMware. So you need a 10 gig for management as well? So the management is going across uh, those 10 gig links. So mm-hmm. I mean, and that's fairly typical for, for a vSphere environment where you're just tagging uh, the, the management traffic or leaving the management traffic as the single untagged VLAN across whatever 10 gig interfaces you have going upstream. Got it. So we, so we of course, started with that same hardware as everybody else uh, and, and, and the software uh, specifications that came with it. And where, where did we go from there? Well, let's actually touch, before we go there, let's just touch on the software, because that's okay. one piece we didn't uh, really get into. So the software is actually uh, prescribed by VMware as well. So you have, it comes with vCenter server, the, the vCenter server appliance specifically. It comes with uh, vSphere Enterprise Plus licenses for all of the ESX hosts, so eight CPUs of licensing. It also comes with Log Insight. So this is the vRealize Log Insight that's used for log management, your, your syslog server. Uh, and then it comes with... Uh, vSAN, the virtual SAN storage technology, taking care of the uh, aggregated DAS, as we were referring to it earlier. And then you get the special sauce of the Evo Rail program, which is the Evo Rail engine. So this is the piece that actually kind of ties it all together, that handles the initial uh, deployment automation, and then gives you a slightly simplified user interface for certain operational procedures. I always call that thing Marvin. Is that accurate? So Marvin was the code name that they were hoping to have as the actual product name, but at the end it became Evo Rail. Okay. So, yes, if you actually look at the packages and such, you'll actually see Marvin. If you are in the interface and you look at the cluster name, it's got Marvin in the name. So ah. Marvin's everywhere. Okay, good. <laughs> that makes you happy. It does. It does, because it means that I haven't been making it up this whole time. <laughs> no, and then if you actually look at their little logo, it's essentially a, a mixture of an Android and a like Marvin the Martian. I do. You know, I will admit, I, I like the branding on the, the whole thing. Like, I, I love the UI. I like the logos. I like the colors. I, whoever designed that thing, hats off, man. It's beautiful. Well, they, they did a good job. They're yeah. trying to find that blend between, between corporate and consumer. 
Yeah. They're, they're, tr- they're trying to find that nice match. Uh, and certainly they've made uh, multiple public statements that they're really aiming to have an Apple-like interface. They're really trying to go for that kind of effect. I think they're getting there. Yeah, Absolutely. They, they, they definitely are. I mean, it's definitely right now still slightly more than a 1.0 product, but uh, they definitely have a good start and just have a lot of places to go with it. Yeah, you know, that, that's one thing. Everyone remember, this thing hasn't even been out a year yet. For, for all the infighting and, and just nonsense that is flying around Twitter and the Internet, particularly around hyperconverged infrastructure these days, this is an incredibly young product and an incredibly young market. Exactly. I mean, there was rumors about this slightly more than a year ago. It was officially announced less than a year ago. Yeah. And it's actually been truly shipping from, from qualified Evil Rail partners for well under that. Yeah. And it's already old hat, right? <laughs> well, that's the funny thing. Right. You know, yeah. Well, well I, I'm sure we're going to get to VMworld here in about three weeks, and it'll just be all Docker and containers and DevOps and, you know, hyper-converged will just be an afterthought, or they'll be trying to figure out how to cram containers into that, too. But they're already talking about that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's already happening. All right, so that's the hardware. What about the software? What comes in the bundle with, with uh, NEARS uh, that NetApp offers to the HCI market? Sure. So, I mean, just like a typical Evo Rail, all the software is already pre-installed and pre-included. Uh, we are actually including a full uh, set of premium uh, software licenses for the FAS, so you get all of our advanced data protection capabilities, the Snap Manager Suite, you get data replication with SnapMirror and SnapVault, all those configured, uh, installed on the box, all, everything ready to take care of the, your data. Uh, we're also actually including the Virtual Storage Console uh, for the integration into VMware, and then we have the, the special sauce from our perspective of our NetApp integration software. So this is what's actually deployed to actually configure and set up the initial environment to to uh, connect in all the fast storage, to reconfigure the VMware environment, and actually present everything together. So the, wow, premium license, that's actually super handy. It's extremely handy. Again, yeah. try to make things simple for customers so they don't think about, well, did I buy that license? Yes, you did. Yeah. <laughs> do I have that feature? Yes, yep. you do. Well, and, and let's not remember, or let's not forget either, guys, this is a, a FAS 2552, so the premium bundle isn't break at the bank there. This, this is an incredibly affordable solution. This is a very affordable solution. Yeah. It's, 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 in all honesty, it is way more expensive than FlexPod, but again, 30 minutes time to value. How 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 much is that worth to you as an organization or to the customers that you're supporting, right? If if that's if that's a very powerful metric, right? And if 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 no administrative overhead is a powerful metric, and the fact that you still get to, you know, in in a larger enterprise, you know, if you if you've got FlexPod back in the core data center, you know, traditionally we would have said, well, your 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 branches and, and any remote sites, those should also be FlexPods to maintain interdependency. You know, as we've kind of beaten to death almost, and we're going to continue to because it's it's a big deal, right? We're we're, we're pounding our chest a little bit here, but it is a big deal. It's a huge deal. Uh, yeah. I don't I don't think there's any other platform or any other provider in market that has got anything even remotely close to what we're providing with the data fabric these days. Uh, and and in this context, any HCI node you deploy, any any n- near solution that goes out the door, no matter where it lands, anywhere in the world, you will be able to use the complete. NetApp portfolio, all of our advanced features, all of our software plugins, uh, anything that we do now or in the future, it's right there and waiting. Yes, exactly. So you mentioned the the thirty minutes time to value. What is what 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 does that mean? Like, what's the breakout there? Well, I mean, I, I'll give you for an example, right? So I recently did a validation build for our uh, UCS mini configuration, uh, something that that internally was our our our, our uh, 
UCS Mini with, with FAS 2552 and the Nexus 3000 and, and Nexus uh, 9000 configurations. Uh, when we do validation builds, it's when a engineer who didn't work on the architecture builds it just to check the dock, right? So I did a validation build for, for our, my, my, my good buddies, John George and Lindsay Street, Rockstar Architects. We're gonna have to get in here one of these days. Um, it took me eight hours. So, you know, from, from the point where we rolled the cart in the data center and I started installing hardware to the point where I could deploy a VM was about eight hours. Now, that's not that long until you compare it to 30 minutes. <laughs> Was, was that the one that you had the GoPro strapped to your head? I did. I never recorded that video, or Ugh. I never released it, but I do have it. I do have a video <laughs> of me actually installing this thing for eight hours straight. It's kind of funny, but yeah. yeah and so just to be clear, I mean, the, the 30 minutes is a fantastic thing, but I, I just want to make sure that we don't set the expectation that someone's going to unbox it, and then 30 minutes later they're going to be deploying VMs. You yeah. do have to unbox it. You do have to rack it, put some power cables and some network cabling in, so there's a few extra minutes that are going to happen there. But uh, it's 30 minutes from the actual provisioning standpoint. So power on. From, uh, roughly, yes. I mean, you've got like 10 minutes worth of power on for everything to come up and the vCenter to start and all the services to start. And from there, then you can actually start walking through the interface. That's fair. So, Eric, I know some Evo Rail vendors are, are providing an all-in-one HCI solution for compute and for storage. Why does NetApp add an additional controller to what is supposed to be already uh, an all-in-one hyper-converged infrastructure solution. Why do we do that? Because uh, we're trying to do more. Uh, so, I mean, really, uh, part of it is just that the other Evo Rail vendors didn't think about adding new hardware. I mean, again, when we were at PEX, we are talking to some of the other vendors. They came yeah. up to us and said, huh, we didn't think about adding more hardware. You can do that? <laughs> exactly. They just didn't question it. Because yeah. they were told, you have to include this. And they didn't think about the fact that, oh, you, we can, you can add more stuff if you want. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we, we didn't take just what they gave us and said, okay, that's, that's enough. We're like, okay, what can we add to it? We, we have to have these things. That's fine. That's a starting point. Where can we add more? Uh, and, and obviously, we're a storage company. We're going to be looking at it from a storage perspective. And we look at, uh, you know, a lot of the shortcomings in the initial releases of vSAN and other HCI players. Where can we address that? And it really goes back to our kind of storage technology, our data management, the higher level features that you don't get in a typical HCI offering. Um, and then it's also just going on some practical pieces. We're providing triple the capacity of any other Evo Rail vendor. Yeah. So it's the little pieces too. And then we're also able to provide greater redundancy. We've got more spindles. We've got you know uh, the capacity, everything spread across different devices, uh, and also being able to offload some of the performance because now all the storage performance is being handled by our storage controllers, not being consuming CPU cycles from the ESX host as you would use with vSAN hmm. or any other you know VSA HCI play. Yeah. And what is the NetApp uh, controller that comes with Evo Rail? So this is a FAS 2552A. And uh, is, is that a flexible configuration, or are we, are we getting relatively prescriptive with that? So we are honoring the, the entire intent of the Evo Rail program and being very prescriptive. Yep. Uh, so just as the, the hardware today in an Evo Rail uh, compute engine is essentially all the same, uh, right now in this initial offering, the storage hardware is exactly the same. So essentially every uh, net integrated Evo Rail solution is going to come with the compute, and it comes with the 2552A, which includes uh, 21 terabyte hard drives and four uh, 400 gig SSDs. Everything running in a flash pool configuration, so it's all hybrid storage. Awesome. Yeah, but... So, so that being said, though, it's still just cluster data on tap underneath. Um, to, well, you, to you say just. I, I'm going to argue with the yeah. just part. But, <laughs> fair, uh, fair enough, fair enough. But, yes, it's absolutely you know, cluster data on tap. So, as they I mean, we're, we're able to provide a solution for people who are either already familiar with our product and want to take advantage of all the high-end features, or the people who aren't but want to be able to do that still in a simplified manner. So, 
we're really trying to approach kind of both markets and provide all of the power and flexibility that's, that cluster data on tap has in a VMware environment. So, and are, are we are we allowing uh, customers to attach additional shelves? We absolutely are. So we, we do not place artificial restrictions on a customer's equipment. They've purchased it. They can do what they want to with it. Uh, having said that, clearly we can only provide so much automation, particularly in a first release, out of the box. So while customers can add any stores they like, we don't have automation to address uh, additional shelves in this first release. Yeah, but then again, you know, 8.3 on-box system manager, like, we're not setting a bar that's incredibly high for them to jump over. Absolutely not. I mean, we don't get enough credit for how simple our storage actually is. I yeah. mean, fast, simple, reliable was our slogan for years. And even if we don't tout it as much, it's still absolutely true. Uh, again, I came from the from the VAR world for years, and I started looking at, okay, if I want to sell some three-letter acronym storage company, or I'm selling that up and I'm provisioning that up, or you know, a, a, a third storage vendor, you start looking at how I actually need to be able to provision either multiple protocols or handle things like DR, backup, and replication. We're incredibly simple in comparison to having to string together four different products with three or four or five different management interfaces in order to get that simple job done. Yeah. Um, just clearly, we don't give ourselves enough credit for that. And then you talk about all of our deep integration with VMware that we've been providing since, what, 2009 when we had Snap Manager Virtual Infrastructure? So we've been offloading a lot of the complexity and pushing it right into the uh, you know, virtualization admin's uh, single pane of glass with vCenter for six years now, close to six years now. So is that is that our primary integration into Evo then? Because I, I know that, or I, I believe I heard that, that uh, the, the, the actual Evo interface isn't very, well, actually, currently, there's really no extensibility. So it's not like there's much we can do there. Correct. It's, it's not very extensible. It's not very robust. I mean, their primary focus in this initial release is really about making it easier to get everything stood up and running and then be able to handle upgrades and expansions as far as Evo Rail is concerned. The, the ongoing management tasks, other than those things, is really limited to deploying you know, fixed sizes of VMs that you can't modify. Uh, we really see most people going in and using the vSphere web client in these initial releases to be able to have the additional flexibility to say, hey, I need a VM with more memory, less CPU, bigger hard drive, or whatever, that they can't do through the Evo Rail interface. So by going into the vSphere web client, they can then take advantage of all the normal power of vCenter and including all of our integrations into the web client. Those integrations, uh, is there anything they have to do to get those up and running and configured? Absolutely not. So uh, again, going back to the goal of Evo Rail as being that quick configuration, the whole idea for, for a NEARS deployment is that essentially once you click go in the Evo Rail interface to start configuring the entire environment, after 30 minutes, everything is configured, everything is ready, you start provisioning v VMs onto NetApp storage. All of our integrations have already been deployed and are in place. Awesome. Yeah, now I want to I derail you for a minute here because, uh, so er Eric and I actually have a long history with this, with this project. Uh, we were some of the first people that were brought in. Um, you know, er Eric from the converged infrastructure side and myself, because m my specialty is automation, right? And, you know, automating that setup, that integration between the two systems was one of the first things that was brought in or, or uh, that we did. And Eric and I had a lot of debates with uh, not only with each other, but with everybody else associated with the product, right? And we wanted to keep in that that mindset, right? That that frame of reference of simplicity and ease of use comes ahead of flexibility. Yeah. Right? Because that's really the way that the Evo Rail program has been implemented thus far, right? As evidenced by the hardware choice. You have one, right? <laughs> you have a choice of, of you know, a, a four nodes, right, with two six-core CPUs and 192 gigs of RAM per node or 
that or that. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> as long as it's black, you should be happy. Yes, yeah. exactly. So yeah, it was it was really one of those, and, and this was a lot different than NetApp has been used to. Right? NetApp is a company of engineers, and engineers love flexibility. Yes. Right? Yeah. We all the nerd knobs. Yeah, all the nerd exactly. Knobs. You stole my line. Yes. Uh, you know, being able to go in and tweak and adjust and tune every little bit to eke that maximum amount of efficiency out of it. And this isn't about that. This is about usability and time to value has been a big has been a big uh, phrase that we've used with this, right? And how quickly can a customer begin using the gear, begin getting value out of that gear? And it goes all the way back to things like how quickly you can actually order one of these things, right? And and I know Eric, uh, because I came from the customer side, I was not exposed to all that, but. Eric, on the VAR side, I know you you have experience with with that whole thing, and this is a it's a different program for NetApp in that respect. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is all about that simplicity. I mean, when you're trying to put together a FlexPod or any converged infrastructure or just a you know non-converged infrastructure, you've got so many choices to make on the partner side, on the customer side, the back and forth, this bomb, that bomb. Let's requote this. Let's see what bundles are available today. It just takes forever. And we're, yes, we're trying to reduce that friction and be able to get it into the customer's hands as quickly as possible. And the other problem is, just from a psychological standpoint, the more choices you have, you, you think you're going to be happier with what you ultimately end up with. And in some cases, that may be the case. But there's been multiple studies that have shown that given the, the, uh, a similar quality of choices, customers will wind up being much happier if they only have to make a choice of two things versus 20 things. Yeah, very true. Well, yeah, analysis paralysis, man. Absolutely. And then the regret of, oh, geez, did I really pick the right one? Ooh, I did like that feature, though. Maybe I should have gotten that one instead. Yeah. So try and pare down the complexity, give people good, sane, default choices, put everything to best practices, and just let them just get to work. Interesting segue. That begs the question, and I'll pose this to both you, Eric, as the Evo Rail guy, and Glenn, you as the as the FlexPod guy, when would I choose an NetApp integrated Evo Rail solution over, say, an entry-level FlexPod. You want to go first, Eric? Yeah, sure. So it depends on what you're trying to accomplish, obviously. I mean, in part of it's also about scale and size. So a lot of times people think of an HCI deployment, they're like, oh, well, that's fit for an SMB. And certainly since one of the target markets I did as a VAR was SMB, most HCI solutions are not meant for, for SMB. Interesting. They're, they're just smaller than your typical footprint is going to be for HCI. Uh, particularly when you're something like Evo Rail, where you're looking at, again, 48 cores, 768 gigs of RAM as an entry point. Yeah. Uh, most of my customers back then you know, didn't have that in, in their environment, you know, not in a lot of their environments at any rate. So for small customers, a FlexPod uh, Express gives you a lot more choice, a lot better choice, a lot better bang for your buck. It's also a question of whether you've got existing licenses that you want to reuse from VMware. Uh, if you want to have different hypervisors. So if you want to use Hyper-V, you're going FlexPod. Hmm. I mean, Evo Rail is a VMware product. It's, it's vSphere hypervisor only. Uh, so that's part of the, the consideration. It's also about whether or not you want something that's truly prescriptive and very simple to manage. So FlexPod is getting absolutely easier to manage. We continue to push that envelope and make it easier to deploy and simpler to manage. But it's still not going to be as simple out of the box today as an Evo Rail is. Yep. So if you need to ship something to a, to a, a remote site, to a small branch, or you just don't want to spend any time thinking about the, the, the equipment, use the Evo Rail, get it up and running, and just start using it. That makes sense. Yeah, I, would, I actually agree with everything Eric said. Uh, the only thing I would add is when I have this conversation with customers, when they, when they ask me, like, should, I, should 
And, and, and admittedly, this isn't something I answer very often because, you know, as listeners are learning on this podcast, I myself don't know everything about Evo. <laughs> Turns out I'm spending more time with Hyper-V. Who knew? Um, but anyways. Shocking. Yeah. <laughs> but the real question, that I like to just flip it back on them and go, well, I mean, honestly, do a self-assessment. What's your skill set? Who do you got in-house? Where is this site located? And what's the talent of the ops team at that site? Do you even have an ops team? Is there an admin there? Right. If you have an administrator, uh, some, some administrators there, they're familiar with VMware, then FlexPod is fine. We can hold their hand through installing the infrastructure. We can walk them through how to get a complex Nexus config and how to get the, the, the FlexPod configuration installed. Or if you want to, we can bring a partner or NetApp Professional Services or Cisco Advanced Services in, and we can do the installation for you. So none of that stuff really kind of enters into it for me. But it really comes down to what is the skill level of that team? If the answer is what team, then HCI is a great solution for you <laughs> because you don't have to know anything. It is built with the assumption that you don't. Now, on the other hand, if you've got V experts on your staff and they're telling you to buy hyperconverged, what are you doing hiring V experts? You don't need them. Yeah. The infrastructure is built for someone who doesn't know what they're doing. Right, so that's really kind of where where I kind of sit at it and go, where are you spending your money? Do you have the the operational overhead and you've got the talent in house? In which case, this sh you should be focused on the capital investment and keeping that as low as possible. And I'm sorry, guys, you're not going to beat FlexPod. You're just not going to. You know, there, there's and 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 the the numbers show so. You know, if we look at the IDC tracking numbers for the converged infrastructure market, FlexPod is number one in capacity and number two or number three. Uh, in, in, in ASP, in, in average sale price. And basically what that means is we are shipping physically more gigabytes of storage than anyone else for a lower price than anyone else. That's the only way you arrive at those numbers. If we were charging more, we'd have a higher ASP because we're moving more storage than anyone else in this space, right? So FlexPod is already the most cost-effective infrastructure program that we're capable of building at, at this point in time. And as Eric said, we are heavy, heavy, heavy at work. We get it. We got to make it easy. It's got to be simple to manage. We've got to lower the bar a little bit. But if you're sitting there today and you've got these talents in-house, if you've got network administrators, if you've got vSphere administrators, if you've got Hyper-V guys, you don't really need a storage person because the storage is managed through whatever the ecosystem is. Like Just like with the Evo Rail solution, we can manage the storage through VSC. We can manage the storage through through uh, System Center Virtual Machine Manager. We can manage the storage through Cinder and OpenStack. Like we've got options, right? But if 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 you don't have those guys, something like hyperconverged or public cloud gives you an easy way out. You know, it, you kind of flirted with one of my my favorite topics too, which is data fabric, because it's still a NetApp, right? Yeah. As as Eric just pointed out, it's not just CDOT, right? It's it's the entire data fabric strategy and. You know, if you are a part of an enterprise and you're deploying department IT that wants to leverage something like this, right, you can bring that back into a FlexPod data center. And it's simple. It's easy. You don't even have to hardly think about it, right? You need to burst into the cloud. Great. We've got cloud on tap, right? And you know what? All the data just moves up there. It's the same management interface. So, yeah, it's it's it fits into the grander scheme of things really nicely. Yeah, and and. and personally like that's that's one of the been the greatest things for me just because i've been able to sit on the sidelines and just be like yeah evo's great man absolutely get an evo i don't care <laughs> you want an evo get an evo guess what yeah. it works with everything else we do we don't yeah. care 
Yeah, would do what's best for you. Exactly. What's best for your use case, your business. Yep. Yeah, and you're not. It's not like you're locked in because it's part of the data fabric. You can. It's part of the family, so it's 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 adjustable, right? You can yep. you can grow it if you need to, uh, and of course you can share your data. You're not isolated like some of the other solutions out there. Absolutely, and you're, and you're not locked into how you use it. Again, since we're not restricting how you're using your equipment, we can't. We're not saying, hey, you buy this, you only use it for VMware storage and nothing else. You want to throw some file shares off of that? Go right ahead. You want to present some iSCSI LUNs to some other host in your environment? Go right ahead. It's your equipment. All right. Well, that's a pretty good introduction to NetApp Integrated Evo Rail Solution. So, Eric, tell us, if somebody wants to learn more about NEARS, how can they do that? Uh, so, we, we have a page. You can go to our, our NetApp.com website, and you can find some information about Evo Rail. We've, we've probably covered it a little bit more in depth on, on this program than we have currently available publicly. We do have uh, a various amount of documentation and such available uh, to partners on our field portal. Uh, and and uh, so that documentation is available there. We are going to be having a session at VMworld, so customers are certainly welcome to stop in there and see that, or if they're going to catch the uh, recordings after the show, uh, those should be available. And we'll be going to be having sessions at uh, NetApp Insight forthcoming uh, in October and November of this year as well. And if I'm not mistaken, you're going to be at VMworld as well, right? I am going to be at VMworld, yes. Uh, as I mentioned, we'll have an e- we'll be have presence at the Evo Rail Pavilion. We're going to have a presence in our booth. Uh, I will be there. Sully will be there. We'll be on hand to answer questions. So Sully's going to be there if you want to talk about Docker. Is that what you're saying? Because I don't think he's going to be answering any Evo Rail questions these days. <laughs> oh no, 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 no. He can, he can, he can try to pretend he doesn't know what that thing is. He has now publicly admitted that he wrote the first version of the automation platform that became NetApp Integrated Solution for Evo Rail. There it is. No, no, I'm on the hook for vRealize at VMworld. <laughs> vRealize Automation, vRealize Orchestrator. That's you, nice. But you realize <laughs> that you're going to be on the hook also for Evo Rail. <laughs> we are all on the hook for whatever our customers want to talk about. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, so how do we stalk you on Twitter? Uh, I am at at eRayline, so E-R-A-I-L-I-N-E. Awesome. And uh, you, also, you also have a blog, right? Same. Yep, eRayLine.com. Very simple to find. Very, very cool. All right, well, a few quick announcements. If you're going to VMworld, don't forget to register for the NetApp sessions. We've got about five of them. So when you're making your schedule, just use the keyword NetApp, and you'll be able to pull those up. Register for NetApp Insight at netapp-insight.com. We've got about 300 breakout sessions, a ton of hands-on labs, and there's also a chance to get your certification right there on site. And lastly, register for the Tech on Tap newsletter at community.netapp.com. All right, well, that music tells me it's time to go. So if you want to get in touch with us, send us an email at podcast.netapp.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes and SoundCloud at Tech on Tap. And until next week, bye for now. And this is the part where we dance. Yo, so I have no computers right now. I have three broken laptops at my desk. Now, how could that happen? It's this thing called Windows 10. Oh, my goodness. Oh, shocking. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I did a (laughs) boo-boo. It's not good. What'd you do, man? I got got one computer that is just perpetually trying to restart, and it's just dead. Is it just me that's getting off of this? Windows 8.1, and it's perpetually trying to finish the install of Windows 10. And then I have my Surface 3, which is running Windows 10, but the VPN won't work, so I can't use it for work. Did I mention I have a Mac at home that works? Boom! Yeah, yeah, I should have brought that to work today. <laughs>